It's funny. I saw you pull in uh-huh. the, in your car. Uh-huh. I was late getting here because I was just scrambling trying to find all the equipment and get ready. So I pulled into the driveway at exactly on the dot we were supposed to be here, uh, yeah. and you weren't here. So I was like, great. I'm going to get my stuff out of the car, come in here, and then totally bust you for being late. And you could Right, because then you pulled up two seconds after me and ruined my plan. I'm glad. I, I kept s- saying, dang it, he's sitting at the table waiting to say, you made it. I'm just going to say, uh, you ruined my morning. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Do better. Welcome to Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jamil Brooks. And we're coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating, share with your friends, follow us online, or better yet, get Congressman Jeff Duncan a good divorce lawyer. More on that in a bit, but that man is going to need some help. Otherwise, he's going to lose the shirt off his back and he'll be dressing like John Fetterman at the Capitol. (laughs) You can always drop us a note at blackwhiteblueinthesouth at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. Yay. We have a Linktree page that can connect you to everything, so be sure to look at the show notes where we'll have that and links to all material mentioned in today's episode. The best way to combat misinformation is with information. Okay, I like it. Hey, Jamel. Hey. <laughs> oh, you did it <laughs> See, now you don't even notice it. Hey, Jamil. <laughs> did you write that? I did. I did. But I can't say that, in, I won't do that intentionally in the future. <laughs> you know that Facebook post I wrote was all about you. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Where, where, where I wrote, you know, he's coming from a good place. That was a quote from you at the last episode. And that just got me I thinking, can't. I know what that means. I can translate. That's not what that means. It turns out I've been mispronouncing your name for the past six months. Okay, wait. How have you not reached across the table and slapped me upside the head for saying Jumel when it's Jamil? First of all, that was our family business. We weren't going to bring that. Oh, everything is fodder for the cat. So, um, because Bill was coming from a good place, right? So I could tell it was a good place. When, when you say he's coming from a good place, that, that means he messed up. He's too dumb to know he messed up. He's going to mess up again, so I'll give him a pass. That is not what I meant. I knew it was a hidden message. I knew it was. So how much fun did we have in Seneca last Sunday at the Oconee County Democratic Party fundraiser? Yes, loved it. That was so great. You know, Jamil and I are up for hire. So if you have an event and would like us to do a live entertaining recording, yes. just reach out. That's Our it. rates are very reasonable, usually just a free meal. That's it. We, we like it. We work for food. <laughs> but that was a blast. I, uh, I want to talk about uh, my drive home from Seneca that night. Okay. I remember I texted you afterwards, said something pretty cool happened on yes. the ride home. So I'm driving home. It's about an hour and a half from Seneca to Greenwood. Okay. And I stopped at a convenience store 
to fill up on some nutrition and snacks. Okay. I get myself these blue cheese uh, combos, these buffalo blue cheese combos, okay. my favorite driving snack, okay. and a water. And I'm wearing the lovely logoed shirt that you gave me. Yay. So I'm wearing that. I walk in the convenience store. I'm checking out. And there's this grizzly guy working the counter, looks kind of gruff. And he says, you know, he's like, what's that shirt? And I go, well, it's, it's a podcast. And it just says black, white, and blue in the South. Yeah. And it's got our logo, which is the blue donkey on it. Yes. And he says, are you a Democrat? Oh, gosh. And I said, I, I indeed am. <laughs> and he said, Good. Oh. He says, you keep being that. He says, I, he said he used to be a paralegal and, oh, wow. and he's very passionate about the cause. He says, there's more of us out here than you realize. Wow. We hear that a lot. Right. I did not expect to hear it at a convenience station somewhere between Seneca and Greenwood yeah. in the middle of the night, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, but it gave me a nice little jolt. It's like, wow, we found ourselves a brother out here, a no-name yes. brother uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Yes. We're starting to hear that, that there are a lot of us out here more and more. I also want to announce that tickets are on sale for the Carnell Drummond Maze Banquet here in Greenwood on yes. Thursday, October 5th. We've got Representative Heather Bauer as our keynote speaker, and we'll be giving out some annual awards as well. There will be good food, good drink, good company, yes. some great speeches. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? I know. Make sure you're there. Again, look in the show notes for instructions on how to purchase tickets. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of things today. I think our main topic is going to be the hate crimes bill. Okay. But first, the news. For up to the minute reports, stay tuned to this station. Now, the news. Congressman Jeff Duncan's wife files for divorce. Breaking news that came out just yesterday. Oh, Lord. I made an earlier reference to our illustrious congressman, Mr. Jeff Duncan, who, by the way, was one of my initial motivations for getting involved in politics. Wow. So Donald Trump becoming president was one, but then watching my congressman in action and, and how he spoke and how he just denigrated everybody around him who didn't agree with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that just made me outraged. And yeah. I don't like bullies. Exactly. He finds himself in a bit of trouble today. He does. An article came out yesterday. It hit all the wires that Jeff Duncan's wife has filed for divorce over an extramarital affair with a lobbyist in D.C. Hmm. He got all swamped up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The opening paragraph of this article was stunning. So it starts off by saying, when Jeff Duncan left his Faith and Freedom barbecue at the end of August, after calling his wife Melody Duncan Mm. loving and supporting, come on. He then went, quote, directly to the home of his paramour. Ain't that Oof. some crap. Melody Duncan is Jeff Duncan's wife, filed for divorce on Friday, did so at Lawrence, which mm-hmm. is where their residence is. Yes. She accused the 13-year conservative representative. So that's how many years he's been in office. Remember, this is Jeff, Mr. Term Limits Duncan who's running again for Congress for the 18th time. Mm. He's had multiple extramarital affairs, and he's been living with the woman he's had ongoing an affair with. My God. Mm. That is absolutely nuts. This man is about to be taken to the cleaners. Melody Duncan asks the court to award permanent periodic alimony, 
possession and exclusive use of their marital residence mm-hmm. and their residence in Montana. Mm-hmm. She deserves all of it. She also asked the court to make Duncan solely responsible for outstanding debts and mm. obligations Good to job. maintain health insurance for mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. be responsible for both their uncovered medical expenses, among other things. She's yes. taken him to the cleaners. Yes, yes. go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, here's an interesting trivia mm. fact for you. Okay. There are seven congressional representatives from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Six of them are Republicans. Okay. Out of those six, how many are currently going through bitter divorces with accusations of affairs? Shut up. Okay, let me... I don't know. Okay, good. There's six. There's six. So including Jeff Duncan, how many are having some affairs issues? Four. Four out of six, probably. But only two are actually public. Oh. So William Timmons is the other one. That's earlier, earlier last year, it came out that he was in some sort of bitter divorce with accusations, et cetera, and just some wild stories coming out of that relationship. I don't even know the full detail of that. Mm-hmm. So that means one third of the Republican congressional delegation are engaged in sinful non-Christian activities. See, this is why we should be cautious of how we push certain religions down people's throat. So the very same religion that you are standing behind and promoting openly, you're doing the complete opposite when that door is closed. I don't want to come across as hypocritical here because I myself am a divorced and remarried man and I understand better than anyone that sometimes things just don't work out. But if it wasn't for his holier-than-thou attitude, using his Christian nationalist flag as a weapon to beat down those he declares to be mm-hmm. unchristian and immoral, mm-hmm. then these behind-the-scenes activities that people like Jeff Duncan, who basically thinks he's Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo, yes. uh, that, that's just too rich. Too yeah. rich not to comment on, point out, and he knows it, and somehow he's going to try to spin it. Yeah, I don't think that commenting on this is is in any form or fashion like derogatory as we speak on it since it's been made public. And the only thing I think that we're doing is we're pointing out that these are the same individuals. So Mr. Duncan is an individual who was, like you said, with the Christian flag. These are the right ways to go. And then this is what he was doing behind over years. This goes back to you know, being able to respect that woman. Over the years, you have mentally abused her by doing this over and over again and then standing before your constituents as if you might be better than any of them. You know, I tell my my sons all the time that you're one choice from being the very same thing that you're blasting. So be cautious of how you speak about someone else. But Mr. Duncan has opened this door for himself. Do you think he's going to get a free pass? I think what will happen is what normally happens. He will make a public apology and say that I have prayed and been in consultation and I I believe that I will work toward being forgiven and I will do my best to follow my belief. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to save that clip of what you just said Uh and then I'm going to play it at the same time he actually makes his statement. Because he's going to do it. And see how close you got. And then what's going to happen is Republicans are going to come out and say, that's right, we all, we understand it. But lo and behold, that happened to someone who does not agree with them. Nikki Haley unveils economic proposals while slamming both parties over governmental spending. Mm-hmm. Yay, Nikki Haley. 
both parties. Are you really rooting for Nikki Haley? Only because she recognized that both parties have screwed up. In that debate, she did say Republicans were just as much to blame, if not more, for the national debt than the Democrats were. So I just want to say shout out to her. It's a very limited shout out, so don't get carried away. (laughs) Um, I'm still not a fan, but that's an accurate thing. So she states that it's been reckless spending on both sides. Um, and what she she did recognize by not saying it outright is the fact that each president, each sitting president is still carrying on some of the debt from their predecessor. So we do recognize that if she mentions in here Biden, Trump and Obama, each one of those individuals is bringing along the debt that someone else has accumulated. And sometimes this is not Nikki. This is Jamil. Sometimes you have to spend extra money to settle what that debt caused from the previous president. So I think she recognizes that. But the things that got me in her plan, I'm glad that she unveiled it so early. But the thing that caused me to say, wait a minute, Nikki, her uh, suggestion is to her plan is called the Freedom Plan. Let's go with that at first. And what she is saying is that she wants to eliminate the federal gas reduce income tax rates, make small business tax reliefs permanent, um, end certain tax deductions such as deductions from the state and local income taxes. And here she states she will veto any budget presented to her that does not contribute to reducing the U.S. economy to pre-COVID spending levels. She states that she will eliminate the $500 billion dollars in green energy subsidies. Mm, I don't have a fancy accounting degree, but I do know there are two ways you can reduce debt if you have personal debt. Okay. One is you reduce your spending. Okay. All right. The other is you increase your income. Mm. When you talk about these investments in green energy, or you talk about the uh, Roads and Bridges Act, or you talk about the Chips and Science Act or Chips and Technology Act, these are all investments that are being made such that when you spend a dollar here, you're going to get back two or three dollars because people are at work. They're now contributing to the economy. They're now paying more taxes. And that one dollar that Nikki Haley's trying to cut out, well, she really is just cutting out three bucks that we could be getting back in return. Exactly. And that's a good point. So when I thought when I read this article, what I want people to do is dig a little deeper Don't just see her use keywords like reduce taxes. Um, She mentioned in this article that she felt that Biden was taken from the middle class to give to everyone else. And I went, "Um, Nikki, you might not be looking at the same things. Now, when you said you're talking to Nikki, is this you texting her? Because I know you got a text messaging relationship with Nikki Haley. Like we established that a couple of episodes ago. This is my in my head. Nikki, is this what you meant to type? Because I don't (laughs) think this is what you meant to say out loud. Um, That's one thing that we can't say about President Joe Biden is that he's taken from the middle class to give to the other class. It's kind of the opposite. And I think that's what pisses a lot of people off. There was no single bigger activity that was performed than the... uh, 2017 uh, tax cut to the corporations that Trump and the Republican Congress and Senate pushed through. And all the money that the companies saved from those tax reductions went to stock buybacks, Indeed. which then went to the shareholders, to the investors' pockets. Look at that. Very little trickled down to anybody who was working. Look at that. So, 
I, I have very little tolerance for hearing any ideas coming from the same people that got us into this problem to begin with. So you can get us into debt by cutting the corporate taxes, or you can get us into debt by spending on roads, bridges, chip plants, green energy, which will uh, you know result in dividends yeah. to us. Yeah, and I think you know she references her accountant degree or accounting degree from Clemson. So I think what's really important is that we recognize that some debt, all debt, is not bad debt. Um, and when you're looking at what Biden had proposed, $4 billion for a new federal, the clean energy bill, a billion for modernized schools, $50 billion for repairing roads and bridges and highways, $20 billion for rural broadband infrastructure, $10 billion for transit, where there is high poverty um, areas and limited transportation oh, keep, options. Keep telling me these numbers. I'm loving come, it. Come on. I mean, I'm saying, uh, Ms. Haley. I need you to go back and look at what was proposed. What Biden proposed were bills that would take care of the middle class that gets overlooked over and over again. And if we fall prey to what she's proposing in her freedom plan, look out middle class. South Carolina ranks second for medical debt in collections. All right, your eyes are rolling again. I asked you to get me a sound. <laughs> we will have a, we will have an eye rolling sound for our next episode. I promise you that. I don't okay. know what that sound will be, but you're going to fall out of your chair when you hear it. And I watch you roll your eyes. I'm going to hit that button. The news article states that HelpAdvisor.com found that South Carolina residents have the second most medical debt in collections in the country. That's not just medical debt, because a lot of medical debt doesn't go to collections. But Correct. For that, that actually went to collections. South Carolina ranks number two, just behind West Virginia. So that's certainly not a an honor to be ranked so high in that category. This came from 2022 data mm-hmm. that was used to determine which states and counties have the highest rate of medical debt in collections. In South Carolina, almost one out of four residents have medical debt in collections. So I'm going to ask you, are you one of those one out of four? In medical debt, yes. Uh, same here. Medical debt. Now, not me personally, my wife is. You yeah. know, and, and she, and it's not just her medical debt, it's also her, her daughters, yeah. you know, it's family. You go through one crisis and you've just racked up $50,000 in bills. In the bills. blink of an eye. Uh, and you're paying that off for years. You're negotiating it down. It goes yeah. to collections. Yeah. So it's it's a real shame and it's a real problem that doesn't seem to have the attention of any of the legislators in our state. Yeah. So I think from that, there are a couple of things that I consider. We, South Carolina, continue to create gaps. What happens is the underserved or the unserved population continue to fall into those gaps. This article just made me realize that the issue that we faced years ago when I worked on the admin side of healthcare has not gone away. The problem is citizens rely on urgent care, ER, for their primary care needs. And those bills become so high that they can't pay them. And so this is because, one, we don't have insurance for them. You remember your governor, McMaster's, Decline though the expansion of the Medicaid funds post um, COVID. Like we don't want them, but you have a huge number of citizens of South Carolina that without that they don't have any type of health care. That Medicaid expansion is just a whole nother subject unto itself. Oh my gosh! Um, it turns out that Lawrence County was the second highest county in the state behind Marlboro, with a thirty-seven percent of its residents 
having medical debt and collections compared to 22.3% statewide. Yeah. That's just incredible. I don't think I'm surprised by this. Like in the healthcare world, we've seen those numbers. You know that you have a population that you have to treat and you automatically know that there's a large portion of that money that you'll never see. So when we talk about debt that's in collections, South Carolina has some interesting laws when it comes to the garnishment of wages and tax refunds Mm -hmm. to pay off medical debts. Mm -hmm. Now, it's, it's interesting that South Carolina has some pretty good consumer-friendly laws when it comes to loan debt and what they're able to do to come after you. They can't do a lot, to be honest. It's good consumer protection. Okay. However, hospitals are not considered lenders. So they can come after you, and they garnish your paycheck. They garnish your tax refunds. I've seen it. I mean, I remember... Uh, years ago when I was doing joint filing with my wife in South Carolina and Mm. we would get, you know, X amount of dollars in your tax refund. I'm like, great. And then the check comes (laughs) and it's nothing. They took it all to pay for some medical debt that was, uh, you know, left unpaid because the insurance wouldn't cover it. Or there's just, I mean, there's just a lot of gaps between what you have to pay and what insurance can cover. Yeah. I can't even imagine if you are the uninsured or underinsured, what chance do you have? to pay off a life-saving procedure? What chance do you have? See, that's that cycle. That's that cycle that I remember I was writing at one point and I was writing about the welfare system and how it is itself is a trap. So this is another component of that trap. So you have the underinsured or the uninsured. And what happens with this particular group is if they make $30 too much, they have the potential to lose $300 worth of benefits. So mm-hmm. they have to make that choice. So this is a cycle that we've got to figure out how to break it. And it's a cycle that will continue to go and it has gone on. But this is one of those things that I'm saying people in the House and the Senate, hey, this is an issue you need to be working on when you're going every day. Across the nation, state lawmakers are starting to wake up to this. I'll give you some examples. You've got a North Carolina state treasurer, a Republican, who says you can't put a price on the anxiety people are facing when they get these bills. And he's pushing legislation that would cap interest on medical debt collections, prohibit collectors from foreclosing on property or garnishing wages, and regulate how medical debt is shared to consumer reporting agencies. So he's pushing some very practical things that can bring some relief to those who are trying to pay their bills. Oregon has passed a law limiting interest on medical debt and requires nonprofit hospitals to screen patients with bills of $500 for financial assistance eligibility. Illinois enacted legislation, Colorado enacted legislation. It's time for South Carolina to realize hey, we're number two in medical debt and collection. We need to step up and do something about that. Yeah. Back to that cycle. If you are waiting on your income tax to maybe get ahead and pay a couple of bills. Finally, I'm going to do a shout out to South Carolina Public Radio. They did a very in-depth investigation on medical debt. Mm. uh, And they did a a six-part podcast series, as a matter of fact. So look for that link in the show notes. It's one of the most eye-opening things you will ever read or hear. 
matter if you black and white Says the man in the mirror The squad's facing the terror I'm talking mother, father, sister, brother Grandma and grandpapa All doomed cause of skin color Paranoid like my mind Playing tricks on this ghetto boy So I gotta scream Our main topic today is going to be The hate crimes bill Or rather the lack of hate crimes legislation In South Carolina We're going to talk specifically about the Clementa C. Pinckney Hate Crimes Act There are 48 states in our country That has some sort of special hate crimes legislation that has been enacted. Why is it to this day that South Carolina is among the two remaining holdouts? There is a bill that has been submitted and debated, H3014, 3014. That's the Clementa C. Pinckney Hate Crimes Act. It was named for the pastor and South Carolina state senator who lost his life in the heinous attack at the Emanuel AME Church in 2015. This bill does not do anything except expand the penalties that are already on the books for violent activity. So you commit a crime and it's a violent crime, you get a certain penalty. This says, okay, and if that crime was determined to be hate motivated based upon your religion uh, or your color of your skin or other attributes, we're going to tack on additional penalties. It's not going to take somebody who is, um, you know, a freedom of speech activist who wants to be able to go out and, you know, rail against gays or rail against Jews or whatever that, that they can still do that. It's only when it comes to violent acts. So you've got Senate Majority Leader Shane Massey. He already said the hate crimes bill isn't a priority for Republicans. Some say that. Existing federal hate crimes laws are enough. Others say that this bill would be used against Christians who speak out against LGBTQ issues. Many others say, and this is probably the most legitimate argument, others say, hey, a crime is a crime, right? We've already got penalties on the books. What's an additional penalty going to do if it's a hate crime? You're already being charged and you've already been sentenced. What is this extra thing going to do to you? And the way I argue this, to be honest, I think I almost sided with that last argument. I almost get it. Like, you know, you can only give the death penalty once to somebody. You know, what's an additional penalty going to do? The difference here is this. If you commit a hate crime, the victim is not just the one that received the injury. It's the community. The community is the victim of the hate crime. So let me give you an example. If I have a beef with you, Jamil, and I decide to go tear up your lawn, do donuts in your lawn with my car, and I'm screaming, I don't like Jamil, right? There's a crime for that. I get penalized, I get fined, I could even get jailed. But that's me against you. Now, if I went into your yard and I burned a cross, which has deep significance with the Klan in the South and so on, is that a crime just against Jamil? No. That's a crime against your family, your relatives, your neighbors, anybody associated with you who shares the color of your skin. That is why I believe we need these enhanced penalties, because a hate crime has a larger population of victims. I agree. Oh, boy, this one right here tear my nerves up every time we get to it. Let me just be real transparent. I don't think that South Carolina will put forth anything that looks like a hate crime bill under any circumstances until the shoe is on the other foot. The reason they don't get it is because they don't connect to it. There's no relevance. This crime or these crimes don't impact them. 
The only time I feel South Carolina legislators as a whole move is when it's a crime that impacts people who look like them. That is when they get on this bandwagon of trying to fix the problem. The hate crime bill should have been passed a long time ago. You said former senator. We have senators that have worked alongside an individual that sat in the same seats next to them. And you mean to tell me that you didn't feel a close enough bond to that individual to make sure that people who look like him share things that he share is protected. Don't follow up with a I am pro-life if you can't follow up with something that protects life once it's here. So what I want to do now is actually play testimony from last year of two survivors of the Charleston Mother Emanuel Massacre, uh, Felicia Sanders and Polly Shepard. They both testified to a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee. Uh, This is about a nine minute long clip, and I did not want to edit it down any further than that, because I think their testimony, their words, as they sat in front of a panel of five or six South Carolina senators, and they told their stories and they made their case. I think you need to hear that before you hear what the result of their testimony was and where this bill sits today. Okay. We're going to go ahead and call the uh, uh, subcommittee um, uh, to order. Um, uh, H. 3014 and S615, uh, both bills essentially deal with uh, very similar uh, subject matter uh, dealing with with hate crimes. Just Um, wanted to summarize uh, 3014. uh, The bill is entitled the Clementa Pinckney Hate Crimes Act. Uh, The bill would subject a person to criminal penalties if that person commits a violent crime or an assault by a mob in the second degree and the trier of fact finds beyond a reasonable doubt that the offense was intentionally committed based on a person's perceptions of a victim's race, color, religion, sex, gender, national origin, sexual orientation, or physical or mental disability, regardless of whether such perception is correct. The uh, bill would subject the individual to an additional fine on top of the underlying offense of up to $10,000 and an additional five years of imprisonment. Further, the bill would explain that the penalties provided for the enhancement of the underlying would provide that the penalties would be an enhancement um, and that the, would require the court to permit the parties to present evidence in re- relevant to the determination of whether defendant intentionally selected the target in whole or in part because of the defendant's perception regarding one or more of the factors set forth. This bill would... And, and members, we're truly honored today to uh, uh, have... Uh, someone who I think is just really a national hero uh, with us here. And so the next person signed to speak is uh, Felicia Saunders, and we really appreciate her being here. Ms. Saunders, if you'd come on up, please, ma'am. A life is not important except an impact it has on other lives. June 17, 2015, my son stood right outside of Emmanuel AME door and sent that quote out to all social medias that he had on his phone. I don't know why he's standing up, but he did. I am the product of hate violence. My family and I, we don't have one white friend. We have plenty white friends. I don't know why I was chosen to be a product of hate, because I've never seen that. 
I've never had to live that. And I hate that I'm going through it now. I sat with my son, who got killed, 26 years old, college grad. Loved the Lord, loved church, loved people. I sat with my son on one side of me, my aunt on the other side of me. When 77 bullets flew through Emmanuel Amy um, Fellowship Hall, I held my granddaughter under my body so tight that I actually thought I suffocated her. I should not have to choose where I go and how I walk and how I talk because of the color of my skin. That shouldn't be a problem 2023, 2022, 2021. It shouldn't be a problem at all. I don't want any one of you to sit in front of me and think that you are exempt from hate crime. It's happening. It's happening much too often. Much, much too often. The color of my skin don't define me at all. I still love people. I still love Bible study. I still love the Lord. I'm still trusting in the Lord that he passed this hate crime bill. Right now, I go to a church right behind Emmanuel Amy Church. Actually, my family is basically the only black family in there. But I'm loved. They love me and I love them. But I shouldn't have to change church because of someone coming in and I fear going into the church that I love so much. But this is the charge that God has put on my life. I'm praying, I'm hoping that this hate crime bill pass so that no other family, it wouldn't stop it, but if they know they have consequences that's going to follow what they do, it'll slow it down tremendously. I thank you for listening to me. A life is not important except an impact it has on others. I hope that you hear it. I hope that you consider passing this bill. And I thank each and every one of y'all for listening to me. And I'm sorry that I am a product of hate crime because of the color of my skin that I cannot sit in Bible study. Bible study, where is it you can't go into your church? Because I went to Bible study and I took my family to Bible study. Now my honor's dead, 87 years old at the time. My son, 26 years old with a bright future, one week from going to Post Sale University to grad school. The saddest thing I had to do when they called asked where he was to let him know that he's dead from going to Bible study. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Sanders. Uh, if you'll just stay with us one quick second, please, ma'am. I'm not sure uh, whether or not any members of the committee wish to make any comments or ask you any questions of you. Um, so I'll yield to the committee at this time. Senator from Orangeburg. Thank you for taking time out to come and share with us. It's so important that uh, we not forget, and you being here is extremely important to us. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Sanders. Um, Ms. Polly, and while you're coming up, we just want you to know how honored we are uh, to have you uh, to, to come and, uh, and, and to share uh, with this committee whatever you'd like uh, for us to receive. Good morning. Thank you for having me here. Um, I'm like Martin. We all came over on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. South Carolina 
and Wisconsin, the only two in this country with no hate crime, and I wonder why. I think um, if you had gone through maybe what we went through, first I need to tell you a little bit about the people that was in that room with us. You had five pastors, three doctoral students, three, the three men graduate from Allen University, Tawanza, Reverend Simmons, and Reverend Pinkney. The five. Mm. Take your time. Susie Jackson, the oldest member in there, had 11 bullets in her when he finished shooting. There were 77 bullets in the room. Every person in there had at least seven or eight bullets in them when he finished. Aaron Pinkney had the last because he shot him first. So I don't think anyone should have to go through that. And we're living around, I think last I checked, eight, 84 militia groups, hate groups in South Carolina. We need a law that will address all these issues. We should never have to go to church and go through what we went through. Dylan talked to me specifically. He told me, shut up. He asked me, did I shoot you? And I said, no. He said, I'm not going to. I'm going to leave you here to tell the story. I knew where you were all the time. I could hear you praying. But he, he, um, Tawanza took the attention off of us. And I think that's why we're living today. I think if we had a better law, it wouldn't allow these people to do the things we, they do. The lady shot up from school just Monday. Six people dead. Three children, three adults. Two AK-47, not one, two. Shouldn't be allowed. This is a great country. South Carolina is a great state. So we should act like we're a great state. Thank you for listening to me. And please consider the hate crime. Please pass it. We're only two in the country. Thank you. Well, Ms. Polly, thank you. And, uh, I mean, we appreciate everybody who has uh, come here today and, and have shared uh, with us. But there's just something extremely special about you and Felicia. Um, and there you have it. Yeah, there you have it. What can you say after that? I will say that I watched that recording. And some of the things that you you have to know, like as a professional or even as a lay person, you need to understand that body language is everything. That is one of the strongest indicators of, to me, effective communication. And if you watch this, and I, I encourage everyone to go and pull this video down and watch it. If you watch this video, Senator Billy Garrett discussed me in the way he handled his self at that time. No eye contact, no engagement. This was reported by the Associated Press, as a matter of fact. The AP had an article out, and there'll be a link in the show notes, quote, Republican Senator Billy Garrett was the sole vote against the hate crimes bill in this Judiciary Subcommittee. He did not comment and did not look up from the papers in front of him as Shepard and Sanders spoke. That infuriates me. Because in case Garrett doesn't recognize, he has people of all shapes, colors, and sizes that he represents. And to not even have the shred of dignity 
to show empathy or sympathy to a group of individuals that were just gone under such torture, such torment. Anything that he says as it relates to protecting a person is invalid to me from this point going forward. And I also want to take a quick moment and just go back to something that was said. Why do we need this particular bill if when you commit a crime, there's already a law on the books? You need it because South Carolina owes it to its citizens to take a stand against hate. So doing something extra says don't bring that crap around here because we got stuff to do and what we're not going to tolerate is hate in this state. So pass the dang blame bill because we're sick of it. 48 other states felt the courage or had the courage to do so. Don't know why we can't. I will end with this fact. This bill, where it sits today, it actually has passed the House, the South Carolina House. Of course, McCravey and Gibson were both no votes on that. That doesn't surprise me. But uh, the majority, and again, this is a, a mega majority, a super majority in the House of Republicans. Enough Republicans uh, saw the wisdom in this bill and voted for it. It has passed the Senate committees. So the only step that's waiting now before it gets to the governor's desk is a full vote in the Senate, which they're afraid they won't have. And as you heard Shane Massey, the um, the leader of the Republican Senate majority, he says he's not interested in it. Okay, he may great. not even bring it up for a vote. So here's what I say, South Carolina, for those that are not interested, that represent you in the Senate, that are not interested in passing the hate crime bill. How about you make sure that they don't have to vote on it, remove them from their seats, get ready to vote. And that's a wrap for this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. We hope you enjoyed what you've heard. If you did, would you take a minute today to leave us a rating and review in your podcast app? From what I hear, these algorithms rely heavily on those reviews when promoting and recommending podcasts for people to listen to. If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith, keep up the hard work, get involved in any way you can. All of the major progress over the centuries was not won in a day, but rather over lifetimes of struggle and perseverance. And we owe it to those pioneers to keep the fight going. Do, 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 do. The end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.